Okay, I'm disappointed that Frank is not here tonight because I wanted to go over a couple of things that we talked about last week, and he has a very important question, and I feel like I need to really answer his question better. In fact, he haunted me all week because I was like, oh, I could have said something better to Frank about his question. And so, anyway, here, here goes, and Frank's not even here. Frank's not here, is he? I don't see him. Anyway, the question that Frank had was about why don't we just use the Bible as evidence? Why do we need this evidence? And here's the answer that I should have had ready to tell Frank last week. It's because that would be a circular argument. Okay, does everybody understand? If you take a source to prove that same source, that's a circular argument. And what we're trying to do here is prove to people or give them evidence that the Bible is true. And this is people who do not already believe. So if you, if you say, well, let me give you an example about this. Does anybody remember the show that used to be on PBS called The Firing Line? Now, if you remember it, you're going to show your age. I think it was back in about the 90s or so. Um, the Firing Line was a show on PBS, and what they would do is they would have somebody on the hot seat, and they would ask them questions. So I remember this one particular time, they had a, a Muslim imam that they were asking questions of, and they said to him, how do you know the Koran is true? I'll never forget his answer. His answer was, I know the Koran is true, because the Quran says it's true. Okay? Does everybody get it? I mean, you, that's a circular argument. You cannot, if, if that argument's valid, we've got a problem. <laughs> uh, so you can't have a circular argument when you're talking about these things. You have to have uh, outside information that corroborates what you're saying. So this is why um, evidence is so important in this. Um, Another thing I was going to tell you was I went to the um, NCCA um, convention last week, conference, and there was a guy there named uh, Gary Habermas. And he is one of the world's, he's probably the world's best um, source on the resurrection, living, you know, person who knows the most about the re resurrection. And he said something that I want us to think about and uh, this is when we are witnessing to somebody else, somebody who doesn't believe in the Bible, and maybe they have a completely different worldview. And what you want to do is you can't probably give them 100 arguments for why the Bible's true, but what you can do is put a rock in their shoe. Has anybody ever heard that before? You might not be able to tell them everything, but you can put a rock in their shoe. Now, what he means by that is just give them one little thing that will bug them. That if you say something that, that will bug that person, and they will think about it, and it will kind of uh, undermine their worldview, which is atheism or agnosticism. So does that make sense? And we're going to, after we talk about this, I'm going to try to kind of talk you through how to put a rock in somebody's shoe using the information that we're talking about today and other information too, but particularly using what we're talking about tonight. Did everybody get one of the handouts from last week? If you didn't, um, I posted it on the Facebook page. So um, hopefully 
you know, if you didn't get one, I brought. I thought I brought enough, but I didn't bring quite enough. So you can go to, should be able to go to the Facebook page, download the PDF file and print it out. And if not, maybe I can get some more. But what we're going to talk about tonight is the beginning of the universe. How did the universe begin? What, did, what does science say about the beginning of the universe? What does the Bible say about the beginning of the universe? We're going to try to find some common ground between those two things because if the God who created the universe wrote the Bible, they should agree. Does everybody sort of agree with that? You know, they should agree at least in part. You should be able to match them up and say, okay, this book is written by the, is, or inspired by the one who knows how it came together in the beginning. So this is what we're looking at. <clears throat> now, we're going to first talk about something called the Kalam cosmological, cosmological argument. Now, Tom actually talked about this a couple of months ago when he was, you know, teaching here on Wednesday nights. And I want to go over it. I want to show it to you so you can see what it says. Make sure that did pop up right. Yes, it did. The Kalam cosmological argument. Now, this is a deductive argument. And in deductive arguments, what you have is, if you have a premise that is true, the premises that are true, in this case, there are two premises. If the premises are true, then the conclusion has to be true. That's what a, um, that kind of argument is, a deductive argument. So in this particular case, we say premise one is... Whatever begins to exist has a cause. Does everybody, can you think of anything that began to exist that didn't have a cause? You can't think of anything that began to exist that didn't have a cause, I promise you. Um, now, if somebody says God, God did not begin to exist. So, whatever begins to exist has a cause. Premise two, the universe began to exist, therefore the universe has a cause. Now, you could put a capital C on that cause, but do you see where I'm going with this? And this is a, a good argument. It's a basic argument. It's something that you can um, talk to other people about, and it's simple. You don't have to be an astrophysicist to understand this. Um, it's, it's really a very simple idea. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist, therefore the universe has a cause. And we all know it to be the God of the, who, who wrote the Bible. So let's look now. First, we're going to look at what science has to say about the origin of the universe. After we look at what science has to say, then we're going to compare it to what the Bible has to say. So bear with me for just a minute, or a few minutes, while we go through some of the things about what the science has to say about the origin of the universe. Just to kind of give you a refresher, prior to this, actually not this century, the last century, the 20th century, the steady state model was the most accepted theory about how the universe, well, wasn't really a beginning of the universe, but about how the universe was. Now, the steady state model says that the universe just always existed. It wasn't expanding, it didn't have a beginning, it just always had existed the way they see it now. So, that was what was thought. But, Skip ahead to 1925, Abbe Georges Lemaitre, who was both an astrophysicist and a Jesuit priest, was the first scientist to promote the idea of this Big Bang creation event. So the, the fact that the universe had a beginning, and it was something that, I'll tell you how that word came, that, that term came to be in a little bit. Um, then, skip ahead to 1992, in April, 
the news media heralded a breakthrough by an American research team. It was the latest findings from the COBE satellite that stands for Cosmic Background Explorer satellite that confirmed this Big Bang creation event. Now here's a picture of this satellite that we're talking about, the COBE satellite. And let me tell you what they did. They had um, postulated this idea that, okay, if there was a beginning to the universe, then there would be some leftover residual radiation or heat uh, out there in the cosmos. So what they did was they sent this satellite up to basically take the temperature of the background radiation that's in the, in the, out in the cosmos. So um, they agreed that it had to be just a few degrees over absolute zero. I can't remember. It's something, something like two, three, or four, somewhere right in there with an error bar, but something just a little bit over absolute zero. So they sent up the COBE satellite. It measured it, and lo and behold, it came back within an error bar of uh, you know, what they expected to find. So this had confirmed the Big Bang creation event. This was such a big deal that... This Big Bang uh, COBE satellite uh, measuring the background discovery made the front page of the London Times for five consecutive days. Now, this was back in 1992. This was a very big deal. It's such a big deal that Stephen Hawking said it's the discovery of the century, if not of all time. Does there, who knows who Stephen Hawking is? Does everybody know who Stephen? Let me kind of explain. He is the guy who you see on TV once in a while who has ALS. He's in a wheelchair. And he's the guy that the movie, um, oh, what's the name? I got it right here in my notes. The Theory of Everything was about Stephen Hawking, about his early life. And he, um, he's in a wheelchair. He speaks with a synthesizer, so he sounds kind of funny. And you recognize it. When you hear the synthesizer, you know it's Stephen Hawking. So he said, and he's, he's given to understatement, and he said, it's the discovery of the century, if not of all time. I mean, this is a very, very big deal. Um, another guy, George Smoot, who actually is the project, or was the project leader of the COBE project, COBE satellite project, said, what we have found is evidence for the birth of the universe. It's like looking at God. So this was such a big thing. Instead of a steady-state universe that already existed, we have a universe that has a beginning. And, of course, that, if, if the universe has a beginning, it has to have a beginner. So this is the point that they were making, and this is why this was such a big deal. Uh, but I'm not through. I'm not through. Does everybody remember Ted Koppel? He used to be the host of Nightline. He said he began his interview... Uh, of an astronomer and a physicist by quoting the first two verses of Genesis. I mean, it was so obvious that this fit in with Genesis, that he, he actually quoted Genesis on Nightline. This is once this, this information came out. So this was a big deal. I, I don't know where I was um, in the April, late April 1992, but I do not remember this. Does anybody remember this being a big deal? I'm sure if it was on the London Times for five consecutive days, it was in the Gadsden Times for at least one day. You know, it had to be there somewhere. It hadn't, but I missed it. I didn't even know. But anyway, and it was like 1995, I think, when I read Hugh Ross's book about the creator, the called the creator in the cosmos. Um, 
Now let's talk about the Big Bang because I don't, I don't want to freak anybody out. I want to, you know, I just want to tell you something about it. What the Big Bang is not, before we get into what it is, it's not synonymous with evolution. There are a lot of people who think, well, if you believe in old universe or if you believe in a Big Bang, then you must believe in evolution. I don't know anybody that fits that description. Well, maybe a couple of people, but personally, I know almost nobody. It's not a disorderly explosion, <clears throat> as you would get from the name. It's actually a very precise, controlled event, and it had to be that way because the universe had to be fine-tuned to the point where um, we, we could have planets and things. And that's really another, I'm not going to go into that because it'll take too much time, but if the universe was not very tightly fine-tuned, we wouldn't be sitting here. You know, we wouldn't have a planet that we could live on. We wouldn't have a uh, solar system for the planet for us. We wouldn't have the right galaxy. You've got to have all these things built just exactly right to be able to have people who can then communicate with God. So that's what it's all about. Um, it's also not something that we should fear. The term Big Bang, I think people kind of get excited about that but it's not something to fear because it's just a description of how God created the universe now there are people secular people who will talk about the big bang and they'll talk about it as though you know and they'll leave the God leave God out of it yes that's not what we're talking about we're talking about a big bang that God actually put into motion now Let's ta talk about what it is. This is what it's not. Let's talk about what it is. And this is the technical um, description of what the Big Bang is. It's the theory that the entire physical universe, that is, all the matter and energy and even the four dimensions of space and time, by the four dimensions, we're talking about the ones we experience, height, width, and depth and then add in time is that fourth dimension so these are the dimensions we're talking about it the physical universe burst forth from a state of infinite or near infinite density temperature and pressure it expanded from a volume much smaller than the period at the end of a sentence and it continues to expand today so what it's saying is Everything that we know, everything in this room, everything on this planet, everything in our solar system, everything in the galaxy, all the galaxies, everything in the physical universe at one point was scrunched, I don't know any better word, into a, 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 a point that is tinier than the period at the end of a sentence. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what kind of intelligence it took to do that? But we're not talking about the tables and the chairs as they look today. We're talking about the subatomic particles that went on to make up the table and chairs and the air around us and, and that sort of thing. So uh, I see some nods. Everybody's sort of getting that. So, and, and, and I can't get too much into this because I'm not an astrophysicist. I'm a graphic designer. So do not fear. I'm not going to be able to make it too technical. I'm going to be on your level. I am on your level. I don't think we have any astrophysicists in here. If we do, let me know. But anyway, um, so, so it burst forth. So it was like, it, they call it the hot Big Bang. Everything was scrunched into this tiny, they call it a singularity. And then it sprang forth, and it was in, almost infinitely hot and infinitely dense. And it sprang forth, and over time, it uh, expanded. The stars were formed. The stars made the different... Um, 
elements that we needed to have an earth they they had to be there had to be like three generations of stars for this to happen and all of this had to happen over time for us to get here today so that's kind of the short explanation of how that works so let's talk about um, the the three basic properties of the big the big bang or the origin of the universe as we have uh, as we understand from science this is easy to understand it's like three things first that the universe began as a singularity that's that little bitty point like the end of a sentence I was talking about then the second thing is expansion so it began expanding uh, and it's still expanding today then the third property that's important is the fixed laws uh, including the cooling or dissipation of heat now um, something I had to learn about the fixed laws is that um, the laws of physics that we experience right here in this room are the same laws of physics that are across to the farthest farthest number of light years away on the other side of the universe our universe has everything I mean everything doesn't look the same but the laws that govern everything are the same the same laws that we have in other words gravity is different on earth as it other planets but the gravity uh, the laws that decide what the gravity is are the same here as they are on the other side of the universe does that make sense to everybody so we have these fixed laws including cooling or dissipation of heat in other words something starts out hot uh, take your oven for example your oven's hot because you just baked a pie or maybe the guys baked a pie I don't know whatever I don't know if it's the guys or the ladies that bake the pie this particular pie anybody can bake it okay so you baked a pie and then you open the oven doors and what happens the oven's still hot and the, the heat comes out into the room and the heat cools it cools the oven and it heats up the room it's the same type of property uh, that we're talking about here so the uh, cooling down or dissipation of heat and that's what's going on in the universe it started out with a very hot uh, singularity event singular event and it's getting cooler so it gets colder and colder as it gets older and older so it's much cooler today than it was back then that's how the Kobe satellite could go up and determine the background radiation it wasn't too hot for it to to go up and see um, I'm going to let me see what time it is yes we're good but I'm gonna skip that one because it's real astrophysics like and I'm gonna skip that one I'm gonna go to this one this is make sure I got the right one <clears throat> this is an illustration showing sort of a cutaway of the universe it's not the whole universe but it's just showing you how you can kind of look at the universe now the origin of the universe is over on the left and then time goes from left to right so on the right hand side you have uh, a satellite image that took some pictures of the very early part of the universe so that's what that little gold thing is over on the right hand side and this represents time so as you go further back in time you're getting closer to the Big Bang event and if you notice some things about it the stars are a lot closer together over on the left hand side than they are on the right hand side the stars and the galaxies so what's happening is the stars are much closer together much denser as you get closer to the singularity and then as time goes on we we can see that they're spread apart when Hugh Ross was here two years ago uh, 
I guess it's two and a half years ago now, he showed some slides like that and showed you how they know the universe is expanding. They know it's expanding because the galaxies are a lot farther apart now than they used to be. So that kind of gives you just a little diagram showing the history of the universe. Um, but I thought that was pretty interesting. <clears throat> and... Uh, it's expanding. You can see that it's expanding at the end. And, and if you follow that on out, you know, if you fast forward a few billion years, uh, what I'm told is that the universe will actually kind of just stop. It'll just kind of, all the heat will dissipate. And the, there won't be enough heat for the electrons to go around the atoms. There won't be any energy. And everything is just going to die. So I don't think, I think Jesus is going to come back before that happens. I'm pretty sure about that. But you know that's what if you just extrapolate what science says about it off into the distant future billions of years from now that's what you get so that's kind of interesting <clears throat> now we're going to go to we've looked at what science has to say about the origin of the universe now we're going to look at what the bible has to say about the origin of the universe we're going to see if we can find some common ground here uh, because if um if what we find about the universe doesn't match up with a holy book, then that's a problem. But luckily, let me tell you what's going to happen. We're going to find some very good common ground here. Um, <clears throat> let's go back and look at our three basic properties again. Let's look at them one at a time. The fact that the universe began as a singularity or a little pinpoint like a pencil mark very hot, infinitely dense. That's what a singularity is. Well, interestingly enough, there are five, at least five, Old Testament authors, Job, Moses, David, Isaiah, and Jeremiah, and others, who scooped these 20th century scientists at least 2,500 years ago. And that's a conservative number. It's probably more like 4,500 years ago. But if you use the most conservative number that um, critics allow, you know, let's just say 2,500 years ago, it's still an, an, an incredibly outstanding statement to make. Here is one of them. Well, actually, here's seven times. The proclamation that God created, and this is the word Barah that's used, that God created the entirety of the heavens is stated seven times in the Old Testament. In Genesis, it's three, Psalms 1, and Isaiah three times. So the Bible says that God created, and this word Barah is important because it's not that he made it out of something that already existed. It's that he created the entirety of the heavens from something, well, the universe really, from something that did not exist before. That's what the word bara says, means. It's created something brand new that didn't exist before. So let's look at a few of these verses. <clears throat> We're familiar with the first verse of the Bible. I think everybody could quote it without even looking at it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1. Now the word, the Hebrew phrase, shamayim aretz, which is translated here, heavens and the earth, refers to the entire physical universe. They didn't have a word in ancient Hebrew for universe. So this is the word that they used. And so this is what they're talking about. So you can say that in the beginning, God created the entire physical universe. You could certainly take that verse to mean that. Here's another one. Hmm. 
These are the records of the heavens and the earth concerning their creation at the time that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So you're again talking about the entire physical universe. This is Genesis 2-4. Here's another one. In Psalms, we've got, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. So God spoke it into being. And this is not incompatible with what science has been finding out. Isaiah, for this is what the Lord says, God is the creator of the heavens, he formed the earth and made it, he established it. This is in, again, Isaiah 45, so this is not, I didn't put all of them in here just to kind of keep the time to a minimum, but um, are you sort of seeing where we're going with this, that science says that the universe started from a singular beginning there was a beginning. It wasn't a steady state. If you have a steady state, you don't have a beginning. So the universe has a beginning of, of space and time. And this is what the seven times, at least seven times really, the Bible says that the universe had a beginning. So is everybody kind of following the logic here of what we're doing? Okay, great. Let's go look at, now that was the singularity. Now we're going to talk about what the Bible has to say about the expansion of the universe. Now I know everybody's sitting here going, well, it doesn't have anything to say about the expansion of the universe. Oh, really? Let's look at this. The characteristic of the universe that is stated most frequently in the Bible is its being stretched out. So that seems to correspond with the expansion of the universe. And this is 11 times we find this in the Bible. We only found the beginning seven times. But we find the characteristic being of it being stretched out 11 times in Job, in Psalms, in Isaiah, uh, in Jeremiah, and in Zechariah. Let's look at just a few of these. In Job, it says, He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. So he stretches out the heavens. That's very much like what the expansion of the universe. Um, again, in Psalms, it says, He wraps himself in light as if it were a robe, spreading out the sky like a canopy. That word canopy is really interesting because in some um, different versions, it's translated tent. And one of the things that they call, they talked about um, finding out that the four-dimensional universe is spread out like a tent. Scientists came up with that word tent. So the word tent and the word canopy are, are very similar, similar to the point that it's actually, the tent is actually used in some of the versions. So then in Isaiah, this is what the Lord God says, who created the heavens and stretched them out. In Jeremiah, he made the world by his power, established the world by his wisdom, and spread out the heavens by his understanding. Spread out the heavens. Then here's another one in Zechariah. This is the last one. A declaration, a declaration of the Lord who stretched out the heavens, laid the foundation of the earth, and formed the spirit of man within him. So here it is. Eleven times he's talking about stretching out the heavens. Different authors, different Bible authors are inspired to say this. So we've looked at the fact that the Bible talks about the universe beginning as a singularity. We talked about its expansion. It's being stretched out. And now the third one is a little bit harder to see. The fixed laws, including the cooling or dissipation of heat. Um, by the way, the, the Bible talks about the constant laws of physics. 
and including the law of decay and a good reference for that is Jeremiah 33:25, where he's talking about uh, heaven doesn't move and I, I should have probably had that one in here but it, it, it really that's taken to mean the, fi- the laws of physics are fixed Jeremiah 33:25. <clears throat> so let's look at this um, the cooling or dissipation of heat in Romans we see that for the creation was subjected to futility. Futility, the word futility is also translated decay many times. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of corruption and the glorious freedom of God's children. Um, <coughs> I don't think, sorry. I don't think we could have the universe or, or the the. the thing that God is trying to do is eradicate evil. Does everybody agree with that? We're trying to eradicate evil. And if we didn't have a universe that had decay in it, I don't think that that would be accomplished. It certainly wouldn't be accomplished in a timely manner such as God is doing. Let me give you an example of that. Let's say there wasn't any decay, there wasn't any death, and Hitler lived forever. You know, what would we do if Hitler hadn't died when he probably earlier than he was supposed to die so God has set it up so that there are reasons for these things decay and death are reasons for these and so it's going to accomplish his purpose eventually so um, this is why decay is important futility and decay also in two other places two other chapters Ecclesiastes 1 has anybody ever read Ecclesiastes? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, you know, it talks about futility and, and decay and, and mostly fertility and, oh, you know, what are we going to do? And it's without God. If there's no God, this is what we're subjected to. And also, Revelation 21, these two chapters support the conclusion that the universe suffers from progressive decay. In Revelation 21, it talks about the new heavens and the new earth because the old has passed away. So that's a direct reference to the decay that we have that we're experiencing here and that it, it, the, old, the heavens and the earth will pass away at some point in the future. Um, let's see. So the last, this is actually the last slide. Then we're going to talk about the rock in the shoe. Um, but anyway, if anybody wants to read more about this and more about the, uh, the universe and how the universe came into being and how the universe matches up with God more than this matches up with the Bible, then I invite you to read this book. This is the book that I read 20 years ago um, in 1995. Actually, I guess it's 21 years ago almost. It totally changed my life because it told me some of the things I'm telling you tonight, that you don't have to make a choice between the Bible and science, that if the Bible is written by the creator of the universe, then it should match up with what we're finding from science. Um, so let's talk about the rock and the shoe just a minute. Have y'all, has that been bothering you for the past few minutes? <laughs> but what you can do, I want to give you an example about that how we can use this rock in the shoe thing. And some of you last week were talking about, well, how can I talk to people that I know, uh, family members, friends, people who don't go to church anymore. Maybe they've indicated that they have doubts. Maybe they've indicated that they don't even believe at all. And um, the thing I would do is kind of be a little bit careful. Don't try to 
give them everything in one sitting, but maybe what you want to do is just <laughs> place a little rock in their shoe. And what you can do is just say something like, um, you know, I know you don't believe in the Bible, but what if, what if there was a, a religion that actually said some of the things, was written thousands of years ago, that said things like how the universe began, things that you couldn't know thousands of years ago, would that get your attention? And they would probably say, oh yeah, you know, if, if you could actually prove to me that somebody thousands of years ago wrote down things that have just now been discovered in the 20th century about science, yeah, that would get my attention. This is what you call a rock in the shoe. You tell them then, look, the Bible is that book because it talks about the universe having a beginning. It talks about uh, God stretching out the heavens, that's the expansion of the universe, and then it talks about the fixed laws, including the laws of decay. You can say something in your own words, but that might be just enough to put a little rock in that person's shoe so that they start thinking about it. And, and you know, um, they kind of kind of makes them think, well, maybe this worldview that I've embraced isn't doesn't have all the answers. Does anybody have any questions? We're going to talk about in the next few weeks a lot of different things. We're going to talk about the animals and the order that the animals came in and some of those things. But I think there are two pieces of apologetic information that you really should know. These are the two most important things. One is the beginning of the universe that we just talked about. The other one is evidence for the resurrection. If you can know something about those two things, then we'll talk about some of the other stuff too. But, but if you want to put a rock in somebody's shoe, I think talking about the origin of the universe or talking about how we know the resurrection is true are two really good places to start. Had you ever heard that term before, putting a rock in somebody's shoe? You had, well, it was new to me. I heard Gary Habermas say it, and I was like, oh, I'm going to remember that. That's terrific. That's good. So, anyway, yes. I don't think at this point they do. From what I hear, this is it. I mean, the Big Bang is it. In other words, the few people who might disagree and say, oh, we've got to go back to the steady-state universe there aren't very many of them at all. And, and those people have an agenda. They don't want there to be a beginning to the universe. You know, oh, one thing I forgot to tell you, how the, the name The Big Bang came about. This was before the TV show there. It was a guy named Sir Fred Hoyle to coined the term The Big Bang. And the reason he did, he didn't like it. He was a steady state guy. You know, he wanted the universe to be all, always have been just the way it was. And he didn't <laughs> like the fact that there was a beginning to the universe. So he was making fun of it. And he called it the Big Bang. And that stuck. But he was, he was, he didn't want it, the, the universe to have a beginning. And somehow we sort of lose that. Uh, we lose the fact that if the universe had a beginning, that is a good thing. <laughs> that is a very good thing because that's what the Bible says. So that, that one little thing, that's a little rock to put in somebody's shoe. You don't even have to remember the three points. Just that one thing is really good. Anybody got any more questions? Yes. We're not told uh, by science, but the Bible says God spoke it into existence. And I, and I think that has to be where it came from. But science is not going to go back to that point and say that, you know. No, science is not saying that God did it, but they should be, you know, but they're not. Hawking, um, 
Well, he agrees that the universe had a beginning. I mean, but he thinks there's a God. From what I understand, he's not an atheist, but I think he's an agnostic. So he's not totally, he's not on board totally, but there's always hope for him. I know he had a wife who was a Christian, but uh, I don't know if his wife now is a Christian or not. He, he's gotten married twice, I think. So, good question. Uh, maybe I'll have the answer next week. I, I have, have, might have a better... No, I won't be here next week. I'll be here a week after that. Next week, Tom's going to be teaching. So it's just an amazing thing when you look at science and then you look at the Bible. And um, I know my friend Hugh Ross has said he has been through it a lot and he has not seen, he has not found anything that actually could be disproven. There are some things that can't be proven, can't be verified, let's say that. But he can't find anything that can be disproven in science or... Uh, there are a lot of like architectural things. There are some things that have been found. There are some things that may never be found. Did you have anything else, or uh, you don't? Okay. Anybody got a question? Okay. Okay. He's he well. He says it's 13.8 billion years for the universe, and the Earth is 4.6 billion years. So if you remember that diagram that I had, let me see if I can get back to it. Yeah. Well, remember, the origin of the universe was a lot longer than when Adam was created. So if you take the first verse of the Bible that says in the beginning, that's 13.8 billion years ago. Yeah, so, but anyway, look at this diagram. Um, what you have here is, over on the far left-hand corner, you have the very first galaxies and stars that were created. And the Earth actually didn't come into existence until a little bit further than halfway past where where see where it kind of comes uh it looks like there's a little bit of blue if you count four or five different of those vertical lines that's where the earth and our solar system came into existence the earth didn't exist all the way back and but what happened was i don't know how many of you have taken um some of the physics in high school but and i didn't take it in high school but i've learned a lot since then but what has to happen is in the very beginning you have hydrogen is the only element and then there's a little bit of something else a couple of other little things but mostly it's all hydrogen which is atomic number one so it's the lightest element and then time has to go on and you have the stars forming and where when the stars form this is where the other elements are made so we have to have heavy elements to have an earth like we have we have to have carbon we have to have nitrogen we have to have oxygen we have to uranium and thorium and these heavier elements but they're made in the stars so they did those elements did not exist all the way back at the on the left hand side of that diagram they didn't exist until about the middle of the diagram so God planned it so that he made everything in the stars exactly like it needed to be um, you know for us to have a, a planet to support life that had the elements that we needed to make up all of us and the chairs and the tables that we would also need for the technology for the computers that we have so that may be more than we wanted to know well we're going to dissect those first verses later yeah yeah, exactly, exactly. And, you know, if the universe is old, like science says it is, then to me that just shows how much God valued us. But if he spent that much time putting everything in, in just the right places and getting the just the right things just right for us, I mean, he carefully crafted it. So um, 
you know, I think that personally, and we'll talk about this more, but I think the universe was created both in an instant and in a long time because uh, the physical universe was created in an instant. So we had the physical universe. Like I said, we didn't have the tables and chairs. We had the atomic, subatomic particles that went to later on make up the tables and chairs and us, you know. But um, then, uh, then he, when it got to the earth and life part, he, he took you know, his time also. So we're, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going to talk about this. Well, I think we're out of time. Do you want me to close in prayer? Dear Lord, thank you for having us um, be able to come and study these things. And please keep us on the right track. And please help us know uh, that, that when you say something that it goes along with science, please help us internalize that and enough to the point that we can actually share it with somebody who needs to know this. And I'm asking you to put people in our paths this week who also need to know this and uh, let us um, put them in our sphere of influence so that we can actually share this and let people know that um, there's no reason to uh, fear science, that you created these things and that you wrote about them in your book, uh, the Bible. And we we thank you. We ask you to uh, heal the sick that are being prayed for. And thank you for those wonderful kids that are outside. We just ask you to... um, take care of them and and let them know that you are who you say you are and we ask all these things in jesus blessed name amen